Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And guys, if you haven't listened to episode 190, I believe it's 190, right? I, I think, think it's so. 190. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, we're almost to our 200th episode. We are. We're we getting there. Got something special planned. I feel like it's going to be like a, a New Year celebration with that 200th. Mm-hmm. It will. Listen to episode 190 if you have not before popping onto this episode because it's it ties in. I'm excited because this is kind of technically a three-parter. It is. It, it is. was the prequel, and you mm-hmm. need to listen to it so you know what's going to happen today. And I did not, Charnel. I'm a good girl. I did not look anything up. I'm I did not read that book. I okay. am. I am wanting to have. You're going to get an honest reaction from me today. Yep. Well, good. And even if people did try to cheat, the internet didn't do a great job of covering this. So as we I, find that they don't. Uh-huh. So I did have to read books, and I'm I'm bringing you. It's called Our Little Secret. Okay, it's by oh. Kevin Flynn. Great book. Uh, pop it into your Kindle or something, whatever apparatus. You holiday like to travel. Read on. Yes, this is yep. a good one for holiday travel. It really is, and because I I just give you some of the the meat here, not all the potatoes and vegetables of what. Of course, you know, just enough to really know this case deep dive. So this is she's going to make us full, a two-parter. but she's going to leave us wanting more. Yes, shall we with the grigri? Grigri time. Yeah, I have the kangaroo sack and I have with our little crystal buddies in there and the queen. Yes, and I've got the raccoon bones. There we go. Good right. luck set out into the universe as we cover this and hope that it records. I'm looking. It's recording. Everything. It says we have 22 hours of recording time. You are all welcome. All right. Here we go. So I left you with Edward Coolidge being released in 1991. Yes. I, I believe you indicated at that point in time that this is a, a large, large mistake. Yeah. This well, should he, not have happened. He. Um, I don't have a lot more on Edward. And there's not a ton more to find about him other than he was never convicted for Sandra Valade's murder. Um, Even though they had the info to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They just chose not to prosecute because he was already going to jail on Pamela's, which of course led me to question right away. Okay, so if he got let out early on a technicality because there were search warrant issues, then why wouldn't they prosecute him on the other case? That they had the info well, on. And and that is really what New Hampshire was wanting to know as well. Then when you consider the fact that they never even question him over Rena Paquette's murder, Right. Okay. It was a suicide. We're not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they, the police, they chalked it up very quickly as a suicide. It was not a suicide. And it is the Paquette family that we're covering for the next two episodes. All right. So this poor family, that was the lead in. And now mm-hmm. they're going to have all kinds of bad shit. Bad yes. juju. Yes, they are. I, and I'm going to take you to what happened to the Paquette family. So remember, Rena Paquette's murder happened in 1964. Right. Then, uh, now we're going to jump to 1985. Oh, so we're 21 years in the future. We are. Yep. And her children are adults now. And these these next two parts, we're going to cover the murder of Danny Paquette, Rena's son. Okay. Youngest son. As I mentioned in part one, Danny changed after the death of his mother because he was one of the people who found her 
and he was only 15 years old. Those that knew him said he was never the same. He did grow up with loving parents, but his mother was the heart and soul of the family. She was the glue. She was the nurturing bond that held them all together. So then to have his mother taken so tragically and suddenly and to have it been um, in his home where it happened, coupled with the knowledge that the authorities ruled her death a suicide and never gave her proper justice was a lot for Danny. And we're going to find, I, I just want to say it right now because of the way that that was just worded, the authorities, make no mistake, the police in this situation never believed Rena's death to be a suicide. But there were powers that are that are the powers, the powers that, that be. be ahead of or above them that did that. So I do not. I'm not throwing shade at the authorities, and they're going to come up a lot in Danny's investigation. Oh, they so, do have some vocal public opinions. Do. Then they do. Yep. So Danny, I want to tell you a little bit about him. He was the youngest of six children. He was born on January fourth, nineteen forty nine. His older siblings were Arthur Jr., Joanne, Marion. Nadine and Victor. We heard about Victor in part one here because he was still living at the home at the time of Rena's death. Yeah, they're the he two youngest, like right? Mm -hmm. They grew up on a dairy farm and all the kids worked it. So all of them were very, very hard workers and they transcended this into their adult lives as well. They had over a hundred milking cows and we later learned they did take on some, Pigs. some hogs. Mm -hmm. Danny's far farther. Danny's father, Arthur, was not ready or able to care for the farm and the two remaining teenage boys at home alone. And so he remarried within a matter of months after Rena's death. No judgment. We see this happen a we lot. Do. Yep. No offense, guys, but you don't like to be alone once you've had a taste of the comforts. Right. And she and Rena was a wonderful wife and mother. Right. So that that would be diff a difficult transition. He had met a woman after Rena's death. He met a woman named Marguerite. And pretty soon the, the two were married. So obviously for the children that are still grieving their mother's death, this was difficult. Um, it, it is said that Victor and Danny were the two that were bothered by this the most because they're the only two left at home. So they could see Marguerite moving about their mother's house, sure. taking over that role. And all of the children were of the opinion that Marguerite was after Arthur's insurance money that he got from Rena, which oh. wasn't a, a ton of money. Was she significantly younger by any chance? No. Okay. Mm -mm. Not to my knowledge. Danny's older sister, Joanne, actually stopped speaking to their father. Oh, that's hard. Yes. Being resentful for the way that Arthur treated their mother when she was alive and replacing her so quickly. So I, I didn't find more information about that. I, I didn't find information that Arthur was physically abusive to Rena, but... It was the 60s. I think that most women of that time will say they weren't treated necessarily. I mean, they certainly weren't treated equal. We know that. Sure, right? absolutely. So I think that, you know, for Joanne, she's like, not only did you not treat my my mother real but now great, you've now you've replaced her. her. Mm -hmm. So Danny was said to be just very cold to Marguerite, but Victor was like a downright asshole. To okay. Her. Okay, he is the older one, so he he wasn't was not thrilled with. He this. had the Cinderella complex. Mm -hmm. She was instantly wicked stepmother. Yes, most to definitely. Him. Yeah, and some of you may be thinking at this point, it, it, I but I want to just throw this out here right now. No one has ever suggested that Arthur could have had 
anything to do with his wife's death to replace her with this other woman. My understanding is that they actually, Mar- he met Marguerite after Rena's death and just happened to marry quickly. Sure. So, and, and there was some insurance payout, but uh, that's never been, before that's like thrown out there, that was never a theory. All right, one theory debunked. But Rena's death is still unsolved today. Right. So there is that, but I I just know that our audience, our She's super using the word out there are un- going to be like... Unsolved has quotes around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think after listening to part one, we, mm-hmm. we've got a pretty good indication. So Victor did leave home soon to learn a trade and was described as like a basic rebellion. He joined a motorcycle gang. He started drinking and experimenting with drugs. Just being, I mean, he's a young adult at this point in time. And he has said to have kind of influenced Danny into starting his own little bit of a rebellion streak as well. Um, Victor actually even talks about in the book how he thinks that most of his family blames him, Victor, for Danny's love of motorcycles because he would he would not only work on them, these all these boys are very mechanically inclined, okay. but they're great welders as well. That's the trade that they both learn. And and they just love motorcycles and sure. they love riding cross country on them. And there's some a little bit of, of resentment there that, you know, maybe you kind of got Danny uh, into you know, trouble. On these. Yeah. There's a story as well of at one point in time, Danny was on a motorcycle with a young lady and it was no fault of Danny's, but a car was driving recklessly and hit them. The young girl perished. Danny just had minor scrapes and bruises and, I get the impression that the family kind of blamed Victor for, well, Danny never would have been on that bike if it hadn't have been for you getting him into bikes. No one can say that for certain. It was just no. a tragic accident. Yeah. And it wasn't Danny's fault at all. He was going around a curve and hit another car head on. So it's amazing that he, that he, he lived. lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Danny, when he was a teenager, he fell in love with the neighbor girl named Denise Messier. That's so cute. Mm-hmm. She's going to come up a lot. When she was, when Danny was like 16, 17, they worked at a local hotel together. She was a year younger than Danny. So she is like 15, 16. He's like 16, 17. When she became pregnant. Oops. Yeah. This was a scandal for the family because her father was a local police officer. It was the mid 1960s at this point in time. And so she was sent away to a place for unwed mothers and was forced to give birth her son up for adoption. We've heard of these stories many Mm -hmm. times. And Denise was told she is not allowed to see Danny ever again. (laughs) Yes, he defiled her, so she can no longer see him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I gotta love the 60s. Yeah. So at this point, and Danny is pretty broken up about this, the fact that he never got to meet his son. And he loves her. Yes, Yeah, this wasn't a one-night stand. He was in love with the neighbor girl. The neighbor girl, yes. In 1968, Danny was drafted into the war and was sent to Germany, which they actually thought he was going to go to Vietnam, but because most of them had, but he handled rockets as part of his job and welding was a part of his job. Oh shit. Okay. So he was actually sent to Germany. Now, Victor was already in the New Hampshire National Guard and there wasn't a whole lot of fear that Victor would be called up because it was seemed like the National Guard never really did. But uh, Danny, they were all very worried for Danny. Um, This caused some strife. Victor and Danny are very close. And Victor is terrified that his brother is going to die in the war. And at this point in time, Victor is married to a woman named Corinne. 
And things weren't going well because between the stress of being worried about Danny and, and he didn't treat Corinne very well. But just so you know where the two boys are at this point in time, right before being drafted and after being told, you know, uh, Denise is sent away, they're never allowed to see each other again. She's not even in town right around. Danny meets a very beautiful girl named Stephanie. Now, Stephanie was described as being a hippie type. She <laughs> had the long braids in her hair. Oh, I can see it she now. She had a free spirit. Yes, it's nineteen sixty. She's wearing bell bottoms. Her yes. tummy might show. She's yep. got a headband on. I dig yes, her already. she's dressing differently than the other women. Mm-hmm. And she, too, became pregnant well, right, with Danny's child, as, as that will happen. So Danny, Danny asked, was having a hard time figuring out how that happened, huh? I, I think so. Okay. Maybe this time he might have figured it out. <laughs> but Danny did for Stephanie what he wasn't allowed to do for Denise. And he asked Stephanie to marry him because he was not given the chance to be a father the first time. He lost the love of his wife, life, Denise, through the, her family control. So he wanted to do this right. So Stephanie and Danny marry in 1969, just before his 15-month deployment to Germany. Okay. And she's pregnant when he's deployed. Yes. And she gives birth to a little girl named Jennifer. The two wrote each other very often. And Stephanie even got to move with her new baby, with baby Jennifer, to Germany to be with Danny. Sure. The honeymoon that she hoped for did not last, all right? The two kind of realize once they live together in small quarters that they don't really know that much about each other. Also, being in Germany at this time was very isolating. Right. They couldn't, they didn't speak the language. They couldn't go out, essentially. So it's just the three of them, young yeah. and in, New baby. You in don't really know country. your new husband. Yep. Yeah. You're where pe- nobody speaks any English. <laughs> right. Exactly. And people can see why um, Danny would be attracted to Stephanie. She's a knockout. Right. But that seems to be all they kind of had in common. Looks don't keep you around, guys. They don't. They only go so far. The other thing where they clashed is that Stephanie is a flower child of peace and love, and Danny is literally fighting in, in this war. the military, right? Mm-hmm. So she, in Vietnam, it is the Vietnam War. Okay, but he is doing work in Germany for the military. Okay, yeah. So there was a significant um, population here that was anti-war. Yes, hippies especially would have yes. been considered to be the you know make love not war. Right, and that's who he was married to, but had moved her. I'm assuming on base. Yes, base housing in in Germany. Yep. To take an active part in the war effort because well, yeah. he was drafted. He had no freaking choice. Correct. Whether, you know, for his beliefs or not, he had no choice and he was going to still at least do his job and defend what he was doing. And this caused some strife. Um, the other thing, and probably because of the circumstances of his life, he was easy to anger and he was suspicious in nature. So they would argue a lot. Now, He's suspicious in nature because she's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I'm sure men are taking notice of her. And he, at this point in time in his life, was controlling. He was acting bizarre. Um, they returned to the U.S. in 1971. He was honorably discharged. When he came home, though, like many, he was struggling with PTSD. So the two get into a physical argument that resulted in Stephanie being thrown into a full tub of water that she had just drawn for herself and she was waiting for the water to cool. She was still clothed, as a matter of fact. Okay. And they get into like a pushing, shoving match and he throws her into this tub. And she uses that 
to justify writing the court why she would like to be divorced. Yes. And so the two divorce in 1971. And she takes Stephanie with her, their little daughter. So at this point, Danny and Victor start spending a lot more time together. Danny in his bachelor pad and Victor just wanting to be away from his wife goes to Danny's bachelor pad to to get away from his wife, Corinne. They do end up divorcing, by the way. Weird. Victor and Corinne, yeah. Um, Your husband hangs out at his brother's bachelor pad every night and eventually I don't feel like it's going to last. So there's a neighbor that's by Danny's bachelor pad that teaches both boys how to weld new techniques in welding and how to weld really well. So Danny even has an artistic side that he was able to bring to his craft of welding and he would literally make things. So we've seen those all yeah, over in Yeah, yards. yeah, yeah. My uncle was a welder and he used to make all kinds of cool things. Yeah. It's really quite artistic. It is, it is. And it, and Danny was said to have had that talent. Victor right. did it for work, but Danny had the artistic craft. In 1973, guess who Danny falls in love with? The neighbor girl again? Um, yeah, but it's the same neighbor good girl, none other than Denise Messier, his first true love that was sent away to have his son that they were forced to give up for adoption. They rekindle. So since those teenage, let me tell you a little bit about Denise. Since those teenage years when Danny and when she was sent away, Denise graduated high school, whatever moves on. And she married a man and had a daughter named Melanie. Okay. Two years into that marriage, they were divorced. Denise took Melanie to Anchorage, Alaska in 1971. And when she came in 1973 to visit with her family, she ran into Danny Paquette. So this is two and years after. And the sparks after, flew again. They did. Two years after his divorce from Stephanie. Okay. The two fell hard and fast again. And Danny said that if she moved back to New Hampshire, they would find their son that they had were forced to put up for adoption and have the family that was robbed of them. Right. All right. So remember, Danny has a daughter named Jennifer and Denise has a daughter named Melanie and the two have a unknown named son. Who was given up, who for, was adoption. Given up for adoption. Yep. Who would be, how old would he be at that well, point? Well, he was born in like 1968. And it was so, 70 what? Uh, Four, three. 73. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's still a little fella. Mm-hmm. So Denise went back to Alaska to break it off with her then boyfriend and then moved back home with Melanie to New Hampshire to be with Danny. December 10th, 1974, Danny and Denise get married and Danny seemed truly happy for the first time since his mother's death at this point in time in his life. They had two more children together, Carolyn and Audrey. All these girls. All these girls. Danny also adopted Denise's daughter, Melanie. Yeah, from her first marriage. Yep, because he did not want her to feel left out since she would be the only one without the Paquette last name. Yeah. So they owned a property on Whitehall Road in Hooksett, New Hampshire. Now, this was a perfect place for them because it had outbuildings that were wonderful for Danny to run a welding business out of there. So they, her, him and Denise actually opened up an LLC for the business and things were going really good. People needed his talents around town until about 1980. That is when their marriage starts to deteriorate. Oh, no. In March 1980, Denise moved out with the girls to an apartment in town. Uh, Danny had a really hard time accepting this and would often call and beg or threaten Denise. Oh, yeah. It was a really ugly, painful time for them all. 
He would show up at her work. He would make scenes. He really, what he was making scenes about is that he did not want to lose his children. He didn't want to lose Denise either. Make no mistake about it. Yeah, he was in love with her. He was, but it was a very toxic love. It is the controlling type of love. It is the codependent type of love. Well, and that's how he's been in his relationship since mom died. I mean, realistically. Yep. Fear of losing. And it just gets out of control. He also is quick to anger. He's right on the circle, on on the power and control wheel. He is. And he has untreated PTSD. Correct. So this is an entire, you know, recipe. For disaster, And none of this really surprises me that this is how this all went Not down, all. given from the day that he found his mother dead. Right. So it, it just is. It's just kind of like you said, it's just the cycle for sure. So in June 1980, Danny went to Denise's home to the apartment and demanded to have his children back. She's keeping the kids from him at this point in time. Things got physical in front of the children and Danny threw Denise on the couch put his hand over her mouth and nose, and was on top of her screaming. She was terrified. She could not breathe. The children saw this. Their ages were 10, that's Melanie, two and a half, and 10 months that were all in the room. Their baby, That's the ages, yep. So she filed for a restraining order the following Monday, and their divorce was set to be final in December 1980, but Danny was spiraling out of control without having can his kids he can't see his kids anything like that and this was a trauma trigger for him with the pain of losing his own mom and growing up without her he did not want the same for his kids but like so many others unable to see how his own abusive behavior led to these events right. he's blaming it all on denise so november 2nd 1980 things get worse for danny he bought a pistol and he told a friend that he was going to take care of things himself so the friend calls Denise to warn her. Well, yeah. So then she calls Danny and confronts him and is like, did you buy a pistol? And he's like, yes, I did. And I plan to take care of you and then shoot myself. Oh, fantastic. I told you. So he's, he's spiraling. He has spiraled and he mm-hmm. has threatened a murder-suicide yes. now. Yes, he has. So Denise calls the police and fled with the kids to her mother's house. Now... Remember, the Messier family has never liked Danny. No. Danny's the one that got Denise pregnant and they moved her away and they made her give the baby up and they're like, stay away from this mm -hmm. defiler of children. Yes. (laughs) So when Denise comes with the kids and says, Danny has a gun and he wants to shoot me and then himself, her mom was a little righteous. In the, I told you so. Oh, you know, no, don't mm-hmm. do that, mom. Say, I'm, let's get you safe. Yeah, well, she did, but she had no problem rubbing it into her that, sure, you know, I told you so. And obviously, it's no surprise that they always thought that she could do better than Danny, right? So the next day, on her way to work, Danny pulls up next to her and oh. says, quote, you fucking bitch, I will take care of you, end quote. This leads to Denise speeding through town, dodging cars, running stoplights just to get rid of him. And it's a miracle that she never hit anybody and that Danny never hit anybody. But she went straight to the police station until they could apprehend him. So they're on like a a high speed chase through town, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. And now remember, there's a restraining restraining order. Oh, yeah. So they have a court hearing and the judge. Yeah, because he's violating it. Yes. Well, that's exactly what the judge said. Danny, you're going to the county jail. Because we don't like it when the, you don't follow our orders. Yeah, you have violated the restraining order. Not only that, though, they gave him an assessment, Megan, and he was taken to a state mental hospital. Okay. That's called an involuntary commitment. No, they made him. 
Yeah, involuntary. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I Not heard voluntary. the word voluntary. Involuntary mental commitment. So basically, all you have to show is that you are a danger to yourself or others. And clearly, he did. it was in both situations. Correct. And he was there for a year. Oh, shit. Yeah. So he really needed this help. Mm. This is They didn't the, do ATOs then. No. Your, that's your alternative treatment order where they keep you to get you stabilized and then get you out of the hospital. Nope. Now nope. you sit at the mental hospital for a bit. He did. Here. And, he, and he needed that <laughs> treatment. And uh, I mean, it's 1980, guys. So we know the conditions at the mental hospital were as bad as we would have, have expected, right? But this particular hospital was sued over many... Um, incidences that happened around this time in the 80s and so now i hear it's actually a really good run hospital after all those lawsuits and reform okay so there you go unfortunately we like to pick on attorneys for being so litigious and we make bad jokes but sometimes the lawsuits actually result (laughs) in something better right sometimes sometimes it leaves things better than it was when they found them yeah i'm sure none of us actually intended that as attorneys it was money in our bank (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding we know we know (laughs) Um, you've made it very clear that you became an attorney. Not <laughs> prosecuting attorneys don't get rich. People, no, like, it was it's it's to help or you know to be on stage in front of people and show everybody how smart you are. That too, you did a good job of that. Well, as that well. doesn't always work for some attorneys, but <laughs> worked for me. You mean you have to be smart, <laughs> but not just think you are. Well, uh, we know those attorneys too. Yes. Oh God. Yes, we do. Speaking of PTSD, no. Yeah. <laughs> while we were hospital, while we were hospitalized, nope. I mean, <laughs> that maybe, would be fun. Maybe we as should l- be. as long as we can be together. Mm-hmm. So he's in there a year. He was, and while he was hospitalized, a judge did did grant Denise her divorce. A divorce in August 1981. Mm-hmm. They were. It was supposed to be final in December, but obviously the the incidences in on November second, 1980, yeah. made it uh, extended it a yep, bit. Sure did. Now, they, in the divorce, the judge did grant Danny with the property on Whitehall Road so that he could keep his livi- livelihood and his welding business so that he could pay $75 a week for child support. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't sound like Denise even wanted the property anyway. No. She wanted the, the divorce. And he did have um, weekend visits with the girls. Denise was ordered to not be present during pickup or drop-off times of these visits as well. So when Danny was released from the hospital, he arrived at the apartment to pick up the girls for his first weekend, you know, visit. weekend visit, just to find that Denise had packed up in the middle of the night, telling no one of her plans and fled to Alaska, where she originally went after high school. So that's kind of a big court-ordered violation well, as well. one would think... But Danny does not, nobody knew. Her family claimed that they did not know where they Denise knew. went. They knew. Fuck yeah, they knew. <laughs> Fuck yeah, they knew. And she has ties to Anchorage. Mm-hmm. So she's going Correct. back to Alaska. Yep. It's not just a quick jaunt. No, it's not. Well, and to take all the children, mm-hmm. that takes money. Tell me Denise Messier's family didn't help her fly her and all the Well, children. either that or she'd accumulated quite the nest egg. Yeah, yeah. So, and maybe from the divorce, I don't know. Potentially. That, that could have been too. Yep. He gets the property and then you have to pay a certain amount if you're keeping it. That could yep. have been ordered. So Danny didn't know where they had went and um, no one would, would tell him either. This was 1981. And I'm just going to tell you that Danny never saw his ex-wife or his daughter's or adoptive daughter, Melanie, again. Oh. So that's the life of Danny in a nutshell. To this point. He did not have a fantastic life. 
No, it was it was great for like the first fifteen years. Yeah, mm-hmm. whose aren't? Uh, right. And then trauma happens, and, and trauma, from there it and just trauma, he, and somewhere trauma. somewhere karma. I mean, wow, mm-hmm. this poor guy. Yep. I am not advocating for his abusive behavior, but no, I don't feel like he stood a chance after mom was. Mm-mm. Nope, I agree. Burned alive in front of him. Yep, and he wasn't. And, and here's the thing: this is something I reflected on a lot when I was reading this book. I know that the things I've told you so far don't paint Danny in a great light. Not so much. But I'd like you to remember the times. I don't know that he was super different than many other men in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, especially post-war PTSD, untreated men as well. Right. So I... They did not... If any of you know um, Vietnam vets and I know quite I a few mm-hmm. and yeah my my father-in-law who since passed was one this isn't something that they received a significant amount of help with hell no so while the VA has stepped in because I don't want to say bad things about them they've really done some great things in terms of services and such now at that point in time the vets weren't reaching out for help no a lot of them became pretty anti-government right yes. because they didn't get any support I mean this was and one of the men fir- Megan they have to be tough they're they not do, allowed to have but Charnel, think about it this is one of the first conflicts or wars that we've had that when they came back they weren't greeted with hey you're back from nope. war they were greeted with protests yep. and people throwing things yep. at them calling them murderers mm-hmm. so this adds on to the PTSD you don't trust the government anymore you aren't going to go get any help right for any of your issues anymore right and unfortunately Domestic violence, to the extent to which we have heard it, was not only kind of acceptable, but it was expected to stay in the home. It was. Yeah. You're a neighbor. You mind your own damn business. Mm-hmm. You don't report what happens to other people. Correct. Yep. So because this family is our culture. issues stay in the family. Well, that was the, yeah, that was the culture at the time. It was. It was. So I just had to, I had to put my own self in check. I like When that. reading this book and remembering the times and remembering what it's like. And like you mentioned, my father-in-law, also a Vietnam vet, he prefers now at 72 years old to just tinker in his garage and not deal with people. Yeah. And, and I get it. He, he, I, I, do, I, I did totally not understand. serve and don't have mm-hmm. PTSD from service, and I prefer that. Right. So I like to tinker in my garage. We're tinkering right now. Yeah, we are. This, this is, is our, our version. Mm-hmm. Well, and for, you know, for Danny... On top of everything else that you you have already outlined of the ungratefulness of, of people calling them murderers, he already doesn't trust authorities because of the outcome of his mother's case. They ruled a, a death by suicide when clearly she had been burned alive. She had not committed suicide. So right. I for him, I can I can just see not making excuses for Danny. This behavior is completely uh, non, non-excusable. It's not surprising, though. But it's exactly. It, it really, really isn't. And he's not the only person in this time going through this and doing these things either. Uh, so I'm going to take you to Saturday, November 9th, 1985. So he has not seen. I existed in 1985. You did. I did. To, oh, November 9th. I am almost. Nope. I'm one year and two days old. Okay. I'm eight. I'm lying. I'm two years and two days old. Okay. I was born in 83, not 84. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I'm two years and two days old. Some days we don't know the day. We don't know what mm-hmm. year we were born. We don't know how many years we've been married. I lose all of these things sometimes. I have no idea how many kids I have. I, right. I just well, know it's a lot. Are some of them mine? Are some of them yours? Right. They're all mine. Right. No idea. 
So Danny, Danny's at his house on this Saturday, November 9th, 1985. It's been four years since he has laid eyes on, spoken to anything, Denise or his children. And he's, there was a car in his garage that belonged to a friend. And this friend was using the garage and Danny's tools and also Danny's insight to fix this car up. So the guy arrived that morning. I am purposely leaving some names out. First of all, a lot of them were pseudonyms anyway in the book, but also just to, there's a, I'm going to be introducing a lot of characters when we get into the investigation. Yep. So just know that there's a friend that is there working on his car. Thank you for not introducing the cast of the Waltons because (laughs) I would have had to do people math. It's, it can get complicated. Danny's reputation was around, around town was complicated. He was (laughs) known as a ladies man. Oh, okay. okay. He was a good looking dude. Mm-hmm. And there were there were some married women on that list. All right. All right. Which I blame more on the married woman than the single man, by the way. I mean, we probably could blame them both. But we can. We can. But, <laughs> I think. You know. So he's a nice looking guy. Mm-hmm. Now, some thought that he was the nicest guy, while others thought that he was a dick. Because that is actually, both of those things can be true at once. They can. There's lots of people. If I've removed your children, you probably think I'm a horrific bitch. Yes. But uh, people that are friends with me probably think I'm a pretty okay, kind of kind of nice person. I agree so. with this and, and sympathize. I feel like I'm in right. the same boat. You are. You most definitely are. Uh, he did have a soft spot for kids especially older teens who needed to learn a trade and guidance. I think he saw himself in a lot of these teenagers. And um, so there was one teen that we're going to talk about. He was 17 years old that Danny was kind of taken under his wing and teaching him how to weld and do mechanics. Do you feel and like things some like of that, that might be his lost opportunity with what would have been his oldest son? Uh, 100%. And so it's just transcending yep. and he wants to mm-hmm. be a father figure. I and think he lost so. his and girls. he lost his girls too. Yep. So whatever we want to say about him and what a shitty husband he was and the trauma that he caused the children by committing abuse in front of them, again, acknowledging all of that, he did lose out on his, his little girls. Even if it was because of his own choices actions. and actions. Right. Mm-hmm. Danny, at this point in time in 1985, he did have a girlfriend. She had three boys. Now, all three of the boys had complications of their own. All right. They had struggles of their own. They hated Danny. They thought he wasn't good enough for their mom. It sounds like their mom had some pretty big issues too. Some issues with alcohol. Um, It just was not a good situation. And the police had been called to Danny's house where Danny had called them on the sons. They had, oh, they had gotten physical with him. And in, there was there's plenty of stories of, of back and forth where it just sounds like it was a very complicated and toxic situation. The boys didn't want their mom with anybody else, of you know, essentially. Not. And they're older. They're in their older teens. So they've got chips on their shoulders. We've got egos flying testosterone flying it just was not a good situation i'm telling you all of this because we're going to get to what happens to danny and then you're going to understand how complicated the investigation is for the police officers who have plenty of people to talk to right regarding his death on the morning of november 9th 17 year old court burton i thought that was a really cool name court court like court it. burton he was due to work with danny that morning at his house Um, The two met on a construction site where Danny was a regular contractor for his welding for an electric company. And Danny really liked Court's work ethic and invited him to help him out with side jobs at his house, which his side jobs made Danny plenty of extra money. 
And so he could hire, you know, have, and it just kind of take court under his wing. An apprenticeship. Yeah. That morning, the two needed to work on a bulldozer that they were working on for a client. I do believe that they were, court was painting fuel tanks and Danny was going to be welding these fuel tanks on to the bulldozer. The bulldozer was located behind the garage that I mentioned that his friend's car was in, that his friend was working on, his adult friend was working on. So that's where the bulldozer was kept while Danny was working on it, him in in court. So if you can picture this, Danny is welding on the bulldozer. He's got his whole welding garb on. He's got his leather gloves, a welding apron, and his big old welding helmet. If anybody has seen what a welder's outfit looks like. Certainly. Danny's in it. Court is standing next to him. He's helping. And Danny has a welding generator that runs the the welder. It's the equipment that runs the welder. All right. So Danny stands straight up from a crouched position. And within a split second, Danny's on the ground. The welding torch is still humming in his hands as he lays flat on his back, sprawled out. Now, Court Burton runs to the door of the garage to get the friend who's working on his car in the garage. Because he's like, Danny just fell down. Yes. But the friend who was in the garage working on his car, he's a Vietnam War veteran, and he had heard a loud crack, like a gunshot. Okay. Which sounded like, it. he described it as sounding like a helmet hitting a rock. And he heard this over the sound of the welding generator that was... And and so he actually met Court at the doorway of the garage leading to the backyard. He's running in as Court's running out. Correct. Because Court, because of the generator running, Court couldn't hear the crack. He just knows that Danny is laying on the ground sprawled out. So he's running to get the friend. The friend is like, oh shit, that sounded like like a a gunshot. gunshot. So he's running to him. And judging by what they saw and how Court is like, he just suddenly went down. He just went down. The two initially thought that Danny had electrocuted himself somehow. Oh. Okay, because he's wearing his welding apron. Okay. And they do not see blood, Megan. No. So Court runs to call 911. The friend's last name was Duarte. So he runs up to Danny and he feels for breath, can't feel any breath. He starts compressions. The generator is still running, but he realizes he needs some freaking help. So he sees a neighbor putting mail in his mailbox. This is a Saturday morning, remember? And he calls to him that he, you know, I need the fire department. I think he's electrocuted himself. I need help. So the Danny, the the Danny, the neighbor sees Danny on the ground, shouts to his wife to call the fire department. And then he crosses Whitehall Road and runs to help. Initially, he is scared to touch Danny because he's thinking that it still might be a conduit for electricity if if he has electrocuted himself. So scary. So the two men choke off the generator because it's still running. I mean, that torch is still literally running in Danny's hand. Then the neighbor starts mouth to mouth while Duarte resumes his chest compressions. So now he is pumping hard on Danny's chest and he feels a warm, wet sensation and realizes that Danny is bleeding just below the breastbone. So now they're super confused. How can he be bleeding? If he was electrocuted. Right. And now they start to hear his mouth bubbling. Yep. So Duarte runs to the garage to look for anything that's going to stop the bleeding. And he finds plaster of Paris. Yeah. 
Which I have heard of people using plaster of Paris in emergency situations like this. They used to make casts things. out of it. They did. Why not? Yep. So it, I'm going to just tell you this, although it was very admirable of the men, there was no saving Danny Paquette. The shot that kills him was so dead on in the heart that Danny was gone before he even hit the ground. Yeah. So it, it was it was good of them to try. And later, the doctors are confused about the plaster of Paris, but it, it was their, his, you know. We know panicked. now, learning Stop the Bleed, that you pack, you pack those. Yeah. Well, you're really supposed to pack bigger wounds and just apply pressure mm-hmm. to the smaller. But that's what they did at the time. And they, they tried. They tried. This is admirable. And it did not harm anything. No, he it, was gone it, already. Exactly. Exactly. And exactly. the bubbling and stuff. I mean, it w- his lungs were punctured as well. Or was that simply just because the heart was destroyed? It was just, yep. Just straight through the heart. Yep. And out his back. Now invest. This is an interesting shot. Oh, it's going to get more interesting. Can you just, oh, maybe you're going to get there, but can you just tell me in terms of access from the outside to the inside, how many like windows and doors? Like, what are we talking here? Was a window open? The door was open? I will. At least a crack? I will get to it. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, and we're, we'll get to the specifics. I do want you, we can put it right here actually, because I want you to picture this. Okay. When they are doing forensic analysis of Danny Paquette's body, they can tell the trajectory of where the bullet, you know, went through given where court tells them that they're, that he, they were standing. Okay. They do all those forensic analysis. They can tell where he was standing and especially based on where he is found. And there's just a little bit of blood under his body because the bullet goes in straight into his freaking heart. And it goes out his shoulder blade. Media exit wound, exit yes. wound through the shoulder blade. Exit wound through the back in kind of an upward an upward motion, if you can picture this. I can. Okay, it's a little and higher interesting. on the shoulder. So they determine there are there's a field and there are woods behind Danny Paquette's house. They know this shot had to have come from the woods given the where Danny was facing. They had also were able to determine only 18 inches of Danny's body was visible from the woods where this bullet came from. Like through a window? Um, no, no, just, oh, you mean a window on the bulldozer? Like how would they have seen, how were they seeing the 18 inches of his body? Yes. Through where he was at with the bulldozer. Okay. It is, it was literally framed by, um, one of the openings of the bulldozer because of where he was standing and what would have been visible. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. In, in. I'm about to get to another part of the investigation that is also very interesting. But just to give you some frame of reference. Also, those woods, because remember, court is around. There are witnesses around. No one was visible. They know it had to have come from the woods because no one was in that field. Those woods were 300 yards away. Okay. No one's in the field. No one that they no can one see. Saw, right. No one saw anyone running away anything like that so they are assuming this not assuming i can tell you it does come from the woods it's a 300 over a 300 yard shot son of a bitch yes this is a sniper or a, a sharpshooter i mean i'm going right to military training somebody who is a significantly good hunter mm-hmm. all right i've got all these things rolling around mm-hmm. now good i like it keep it coming i like those thoughts so investigators initially are stumped and they call victor they let victor know he is devastated. He was extremely close to Danny. Um, he wanted answers. The other thing, Victor is feeling guilt. I'll just tell you, Victor had affairs with many 
married women around town. This is Danny's brother. This is Danny's brother, Victor. And he had even suspected for a while that they may have been after him. This assassin had been after him and took his brother on accident. For his extracurricular activities. Yes. And he thought his brother lost his life. Literally in the book, Victor remembers that he was banging some married dude's wife when the phone rang to tell him that Danny was dead. Okay. <laughs> Muscle memory. So, yes. <laughs> it's so one he, of those things that you know is accurate because you have a specific, uh, you remember where you were. There yep. have been episodes of Crime Curious that you have done yes. that I remember where I was when I heard certain yep. things because you've traumatized me for so sure. same, bad. <laughs> same thing for me when I'm listening to podcasts. Yeah. Exactly. And it was no different for Victor. And so he is really, you know, he's telling investigators this too, which there's enough people around town to question who would want Danny dead. But now you add in that they may have confused Danny with Victor and who would want Victor dead. I mean, this could get complicated. His recent ex-wife's parents and family might have wanted him dead. That's exactly who uh, Victor told the police about first. Well, just so you know. I mean, they weren't fans and never made any uh, bones about that. Right. And yep, are trying to keep their daughter safe, which I'm speculating, mm-hmm. because of course they didn't actually know where she was. Right. <laughs> Remember, they don't. They don't know. But you know what, <laughs> Megan? What the police do investigate, and they do follow those trails as well. Good job, guys and gals. But their problem is, where the fuck is the bullet? Oh, the bullet that exited his shoulder blade? Yeah, it's not in the ground. It has to be in that garage someplace. You would think. Or in that building. We'll get to it. We don't even know. At this point in time, just from his bullet wound, we don't know what kind of gun it is, who would do this. And he wasn't exactly a guy who didn't have enemies around town. They also are like, you know, I don't know that anybody has enough volition to want him dead either. But the other thing is, November 9th in New Hampshire in 1985 is the f- opening day hunting. of hunting season. So they have to get the DNR, the fish and game yes. investigators in on this as well, because they can't rule out the fact that this might be a hunting accident. Right. Shooting without a proper backdrop. Yes. Somebody could have shot from somewhere in the woods across the field, which was their field though, right? It was. It so was. It would have been field. somebody, unless they would were trespassing. Mm-hmm. Um. That seems like a pretty perfect shot to have been a hunting accident to me. Uh, yes, but I'm not you. saying that stranger things haven't happened well, to you and Victor. As a matter of fact, because well, Victor was like, "No, wait a second, this doesn't seem like a hunting accident to me." And I'm going to tell you that the investigation gets complicated. And if you read the book "Our Little Secret" by Kevin Flynn and a co-author Rebecca uh, Valvori, uh, then you're going to get the full details. But I'm going to keep things as simple as possible for audio. Our some medium is a little easy. different. It is, and some things are easier to follow when you're reading them in the written word than when you're speaking them. And putting it into people's ear holes. So yeah, I don't want to become an audiobook, it. Charnel. I nope. think this is better. If nope. as you're telling me, it was a crystal clear day as the wind <laughs> moved through the corn stalks. <laughs> right. Breaking the silence of the day was a shot that a appeared shot that right. rang out. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going to do we're that. Not doing we're going to keep things very simple. So I need you to remember a rookie cop named uh, a Graphiotis. Graphiotis. A Graphiotis. He is going to be important later, but right now on the scene, he is, it's like basically almost his first damn day on the job. This All right. This poor guy. He's not given a whole lot of responsibility I other than taking videos of the crime scene, taking photos. Yes. He's not actually allowed to engage. It's a good job for the new people. guy. Yep. Yep. Don't do any interviews. 
Yes. Don't interrogate anybody. Here's a camera. But, and there are a lot of, in the book, there are a lot of investigators' names thrown out. But I'm keeping it simple. Remember a Graphiotis. A Graphiotis. So then on the following Tuesday, this happened on a Saturday, on the following Tuesday, there's a call made to the local telephone company about a disruption in service on Whitehall Road. And it had been happening for a few days, so they dispatch a lineman out to work and fix whatever the issue was. Directly across from Danny Paquette's home, the lineman found the issue. A bullet had had pierced the line and was lodged in a transmitter box at the top of the pole. So it left the whole building? Or was this another shot? We'll get to it. Holy shit. This lineman had had no idea that someone had been shot across the street until he reports to dispatch what the issue was. You know, like, here's the issue. I found it. Here's the address. I'm going to fix it. And someone at dispatch was like, oh, holy shit. Someone was just shot in that area a couple of days before. So you got to call the police and we got to turn that bullet over, which they do. And they can, so the police assess this bullet and determine it has blood on it. This and is the bullet that pierced Danny. The, and did they get DNA? Um, and they were, well. Or did they just use trajectory and common tra- sense? Tra- trajectory. It did not ever go into the garage. This bullet went through Danny Paquette a, in an upward trajectory. Tra- tra- trajectory. <laughs> I can sing things better than I can say them sometimes. Because um, we could see that it went upward through his body and yeah. it continued upward right into a telephone pole. No shit. It's a freaking miracle that it was even found. It lodged in this transmitter. Knowing what I know about trajectories and crime scenes, this is sniper style laying on your stomach in a field shooting upward. I'm sorry, girl. This is, this is where I see this right now. I know. Hang on tight. I'm eating a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on tight, girlfriend. It's not my cookie. Mm -mm. It's her cookie. Mm -mm. It's my own. (laughs) It's a no bake actually. It's oatmeal. Um, It's breakfast. Yes, I like where your mind's at. I really, really do. And you're you're going to be f- so fucking blown away. Okay. <laughs> so now they've got their end point, right, for the bullet. They can see this bullet did come from a hunting rifle. Came from a twenty two. Okay. Which can shoot over 300 yards. So right. before someone's like, wait, if you don't know about, about hunting? hunting or about guns. So here's the thing about guns and hunting rifles, or hunting rifles and deer. They don't just come up to you. Well, sometimes they do, but they often don't come up to you in the stand like 20 yards away right. and say, hey, nope. here I am. Put me on your plate. They can be <laughs> far away. Yep. So they need to be able to shoot 300 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, it is possible for hunting rifle to shoot 300 yards and they can travel up to two miles. Yeah. Before they also fall out why, of the sky or yep. hit something that stops them. Also why DNR has laws, uh, states have laws about having a proper backdrop. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that's woods, a hill, but making sure that when you are shooting, you know what is behind what you are shooting toward. Like, mm-hmm. not Correct. toward the road, please. Yep. And this is why. This is this why. This is exactly why. Oh my God, are you going to tell me this is a fucking hunting accident? No. I don't buy it. It's not. So the other possibility that they're looking at, because now that they have this information, they do have to consider that it's a hunting accident. I know. All right. The other possibility is that behind the Paquette property, there is also a gravel pit that's used as a shooting range. Sure. That's what we do here. Mm -hmm. So it was determined at that time in 1985 that a stray bullet from that range could have made it that far. Just certainly a really unlucky day for Danny if that were the case. And I don't buy the angle, the trajectory. 
but I need you to keep this in mind. Okay. In 1985, we don't have topographical maps maps to kind of see where sea levels are and so whatnot. So it could have been significantly lower. So okay. they are just looking at it from the knowledge and information that they had in 1985. And they're like, you know what? Yes, this could have traveled. Given the distance from the gravel pit and where he's at, that's a possibility. Did someone, was it a rogue shot from the gravel pit? Because okay. people are there all the time shooting. And there's no checks and balances. We don't have a sign-in sheet for this no. um, shooting range, right? So at this point... They're like, you know, since it's the first day of hunting season and Danny's property is surrounded by woods, I'm sorry, Victor, but we think that this is a hunting accident. And that is where I'm going to end episode one. Oh my God, Charnel, again. <laughs> this case, I like this case. You're going to really like it. Okay. I mean, it's it's awful, but your mind is going to be blown. My do mind is cheat. all over. People, do not cheat and look this up unless you want to completely ruin the anticipation. If you're a Patreon, just hop over to the next episode because right. you get them both parts at once. Well, but I can promise you that within the next couple of minutes, I'm not going to look it up because I like the suspense. Me too. Yeah. I, I feel like I it's like leaving you in I feel like it's Christmas. I was not a kid who tried to peek at their Christmas presents, by the way. I didn't want to know. My sister yeah. was. She always tried to ruin everything. She's like, hey, I snuck into the loft, which is where my parents were at presents. And I saw this and I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to know. I like the surprise. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, if you don't like the surprise, you want to join Patreon, Crime Curious Patreon, or go to patreon.com forward slash Crime Curious. So you can get the second part right away and binge all the hundreds of episodes that are on there waiting oh, for, for sure. you. If you are the person that skips to the end of the book or skips ahead when you're reading it all, you have to join Patreon. It's kind of mandatory at this right, point. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. The other thing is, even if you do a basic Google search, yeah, you'll be able to see who the killer was, but you're not going to get the nitty gritty. Like I'm giving you in the next episode for so sure. Are you going to give me any kind of a brain bath? Yeah, of course I am. Okay, I good. Mean, you got to bring me give. back down a few mm -hmm. levels because I think I've changed octaves at this point. And yep. Let's let's deepen your voice. Well, we bit. know that the listeners like the deep voices. They, do. they like our 900 number voices. They do. And I just took you right to Hannah Montana. <laughs> oh, I did find this brain bath from newser.com. Okay, sounds legit. Uh, sure, <laughs> sure. It's on the internet. It must be I true. I bet it is super real. No, I, th I think it might be, but... Um, all right, police in Germany say that they had an easy time tracking down a petty thief. Oh, I forgot to tell you. These are dumb criminal stories. Because you My favorite. I know, I had to bring you your favorite. Um, so they, they are tracking down this petty thief because uh, he forgot his own son at the scene of the crime. <laughs> That's a bad parent day. You know... There are many stories like this. I kind of went down a rabbit hole. There's been lots of people who've accidentally left their kids at crime scenes. Like I the think adrenaline that, gets going. I was just going to say that. I think that their brain just gets so focused on not getting caught with what they're doing yeah. that they forget basic things like my kid. People leave kids in their cars and bad things happen. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. not a shock that during an actual crime that they would forget them. And can I hope that they didn't intend to bring them to the crime scene, but the babysitter called in sick and you're like, well, I guess I have to go rob this bank with four year old now. Um, gotta go to work. Buddy, you I know? want you to practice saying this. Get on the ground. Get on the ground. <laughs> My arms Parent are up. Of the My year. arms are up. Well, this is, this is even more dumb because police said that the 29 year old suspect ran off with $5 and 50 or $5 and 65 cents worth of goods that he was trying to steal and it triggered an alarm at a supermarket checkout. He panicked. Yeah. And his eight and he panicked and left his eight year old son behind. So obviously <laughs> the the dude was pretty quickly identified. Um 
it, but he also managed. Did he come back for the eight-year-old? Um, yes. Okay, He good. came back for the eight-year-old, and he managed to fall during his escape, and he ended the day in the hospital to get some stitches. <laughs> Sweetie, like, don't guys, quit your day job. This almost made me wonder $5.65 worth of goods. Did you do, was this desperation? Yeah. I mean, did you need to feed your eight-year-old? Because then I feel like that's justified. I get those cases a lot. Or was this like, you know, uh, I don't know. Was he contemplating stealing and maybe didn't know that the alarm would go off? And then he just panicked. Mm. That's absolutely what happened. He was maybe. like, I think I might steal this. Then an alarm goes off happen. and off, yeah. off he goes. Before I get anything real good. At which here. point it would have been better just to throw the items back down and been like, I'm sorry. sorry. Right, right, right. Have you ever just walked too close with an item? Every time I that, leave that me off. a store and that goes off, I panic. I don't run though. Instead, I freeze and I'm like, it's going off. And yeah. you know how often they just go, go ahead. All the time. Well, then you know what happens? I come home and I find they forgot to remove a goddamn ink tag. Yes, exactly. So now I say, no, I'm not leaving. You come here and mm-hmm. let's look through these or I'm coming back. Because you've left something on that I can't yeah. get off. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, just take it to a store near you. They'll remove the ink tag. Yeah, as they look at you judgingly like you stole stuff. I'm right. like, I have the receipt. They told me to bring it to a store. Right. So that you could get the, I know. I know. I've had those same We live in the middle of nowhere, guys. They don't have stores around here where we would actually go like to a mall shopping. We have to go 60 miles minimum I, I away. Know. I was going to say, though, they're actually quite far away for us yeah. to do that. So it is an inconvenience <laughs> when you leave an ink tag on our things. Fuck it. I'm wearing it with the ink tag. It's yeah. a new statement. They're like, I like your jewelry. I'm like, thank you. It matches my tether. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Popping so tags. Popping tags. <laughs> you just made the brain bath so much better. Oh, good. Oh, how about this Northern California burglar who returned to the scene of the crime this, it's not this weekend. I can't remember when this, I wrote this It's going to happen. It just happened. Oh God. After <laughs> they call Charnel now. I was just, I know. <laughs> Put this on we have an a episode. Small police station in California. We have a stupid criminal. Please call Crime Curious. Right. Oh God, that'd be amazing. By the way, we are available if you would say, like to do that. If we reach that level, that would be epic. <laughs> Oh, dumb criminal happened this week. Crime curious at yahoo.com. We're here for you. <laughs> All right, I'll stop interrupting. That's okay. You're give me fine. the give me the brain bath. Um, okay, so what happened? He forgot his keys inside a donut company's corporate office. The thief stole some petty cash from Johnny's Donuts in San Francisco Bay. And in another twist, he also grabbed the keys to a bakery vehicle, but he didn't steal the vehicle itself. Police are seeking the public's help to identify the burglar who used um, an unknown tool to manipulate the office door and get inside around 10 p.m. Now, the crime was reported on Monday, but it shows the the man moving between the office, office and like the back storage area where he pried open a filing cabinet. And then he took a bank bag with an unknown amount of petty cash in it. This is an employee. Well, it might be because the most interesting thing for them is that they're like, no donuts were stolen. Yeah. I mean, this man had all this access to donuts, could have sold them, like no, taken a bunch of them and sold them. No. And all he got was petty cash and um, had grabbed the keys to the bakery vehicle, but didn't steal the vehicle. Maybe he was going to do it later. 
Oh, this maybe. is an employee or somebody who's had access. This is somebody who's desensitized to donuts. Because could you break into a bakery Fuck and no. not take a long job? No, I'm going for the job. He didn't touch a donut. He didn't no. eat a donut. No, no. I That's mean, why I included this because I yeah. wanted to say, dude, this is an employee missed opportunity. This employee is like, I know what you put in those fucking donuts. I'm going point. for the penny cash. <laughs> I know that I jerked off into the cream <laughs> filling for those donuts. So wow, this. Brain math went south. I'm keeping it real here on Crime Curious. Okay. Yeah. No, he, he was going, he was, he or she was going for the money. Uh, unsolved mystery, by the way. Right? Yes. Yes. We still don't know. So if you okay. live in the San Francisco Bay area and this was a relatively uh, new article. Do you know someone who hates donuts? Yeah. Who works at a donut place, hates donuts, maybe got a couple, a little bit of extra cash they were bragging about, and they have a strange set of keys, but nowhere to put them. Call the PD. Yep. There you go. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening today. And uh, don't worry, part two is coming out if you're a patreon right away for you if you're not then you have to wait like a peasant in the world (laughs) that's right i did that for a long time i know you did before i joined patreon you were a big fan before you became a patreon i was a co-host that's Mm -hmm. right so (laughs) stranger things have happened this could be you (gasps) that's weird that is odd to think of that you it is i mean we've been friends for years Uh, a little while and i knew that you liked the show i did I, uh, it, it, it is kind of nuts how it all played out. And now here you are Everything recording with me every Sunday reason. and I love it. I love, oh, I love it. you. Change is good people. It, is. it, it can, can be, be. It can be. <laughs> and now we read each other's thoughts. Right. It's odd. All right. So where should everybody tune into, um, Patreon if they'd like to get the extra content. Hmm. Patreon.com forward slash crime curious. Yes. Nailed it. I didn't Good stumble job. over it. I always say it wrong. Oh, and I want to tell everybody to keep it curious. I'm glad that you did. Can that just be your part from now on? Yeah, I'd love that. You take that over for me because I forget to say that. We forgot for um, probably about year. 20 episodes <laughs> at least. We have no idea how we end this shit. Right. Well, uh, we know we always say bye-bye. So how do. about right. uh, y'all keep it curious and bye-bye. bye-bye.